Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. Today, I am super excited to have two guests. Both of them are going to share so much wisdom with us. We're gonna we're in for a real treat today. So let me tell you about both of them. First is Dana Ponsky. She began her career in education and advocacy more than 20 years ago. Her first professional experiences were at the University of Michigan, the University of Miami, and Barry University as a career counselor, and then as an assistant director and director of orientation, leadership, and first-year programming. After working with first-year college students, Dana began to ponder how students were being supported in their high schools and what they were doing to be prepared for college. After realizing to be successful in college, students need excellent guidance while in high school, Dana transitioned to work as a school-based college counselor. She has served as a high school director of college counseling and has volunteered for nationally recognized college access programs. And then we have Whitney Fish. Whitney Fish began her career working on college campuses as the student life director at Hillel at University of Georgia and now as the executive director of the Hillel at Miami University in Ohio. She graduated from the University of Michigan School of Social Work and spent the next decade as a school counselor and director of counseling, working in partnerships with teens, families, and administration, all in advocacy of the student. Now she uses her years of training as a counselor and student advocate to help schools and other youth-focused community organizations to build comprehensive health and wellness programs, parent education, as well as helping families successfully navigate the college process from beginning to end, making sure the students' needs never get lost in the process. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much. Woo, that's a lot of accomplishments in universities. That's a lot. We've been around. We're exhausted. We've been around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't get too exhausted because you need to share your wisdom with us. Like, need it. I want to start off by saying almost every guest I have on this podcast has a book. You're probably maybe only the second people I've ever had that are not promoting a book. Although after God reading everything, you do need to write one. Yeah. No, no, no. Get going, ladies. <laughs> we need it though. But I'm gonna stop talking because you guys need to start talking. So I want to you're you're gonna be our college guides for the next half hour and helping parents with this process and maybe how to help their kids make it be less stressful. You say it doesn't have to be stressful. I don't see how that's possible. So I'm going to hand it over to you and tell me how in the world can today's college process not be stressful? If we look at it from the kind of the socio sociology aspect of it and just own the fact that for several, at least the last 20 decades, the water we've been swimming in is telling us that there are only 20 colleges and universities we should apply for. And if we don't get into those, then it's not worth it. And we, we, really have to acknowledge, start with the fact that that is not true. Dana, correct me the number, but I believe there's roughly 6,000 colleges and universities in the United States of America. It's, the number I use is 3,000, but probably it's, it's, there's community colleges, there's trade schools, there's four-year institutions. So if we're talking mostly about, you know, the traditional college that many families have in their mind, it would be community college and four-year institutions that usually sits at around a little over 3,000 schools. So we have to own the fact that just because it's not name brand, like it doesn't mean it's not good for us. We also have to recognize that (laughs) 
once we get into college, we have to stay in college, right? <laughs> and so it's really important to not only look at what your prospects are and what your list is, as Dana will talk about, through the lens of what's the right fit for you, not fitting the college to you, or excuse me, not fitting yourself to the college, but making sure that it's the right college for who you are and who you want to be, but also making sure you're making a values-based decision, not a you know, popularity-based decision or what's going to be, give me best bragging rights or the best video on Instagram when I post it on my acceptance, things like that. So eradicating all the noise, which is really hard to do, but is so important why we do this as a family, as a community, not so not leaving this team solo to figure this out and wade through the junk by themselves. And I would add in terms of like the stress process, stress is not a bad thing. It can be a nice motivator. It's just that it needs to be, in a way, compartmentalized. It needs to be something where it's okay if something is hard. It's okay if you work mm-hmm. towards something and do not get the outcome that you were hoping for. But it's part of the process that I like to do with families is to kind of say, this isn't going to be a smooth road. We do. I do the best I can. Whitney does the best she can. Counselors across the country in large public schools and elite private schools. We're doing the best we can to try to make this road, which can be very bumpy, as smooth as possible, but we're not here to pave it and be perfectly flat. We're here to get students to be ready for that there are stresses. Life has stress. It doesn't have to be so catastrophic and so overwhelming that you can't accomplish your goals. But it's also just making sure that there's a realistic mindset that goes into this. And I think that what a lot of, I've noticed a lot of families are trying to do is they're trying to mitigate the stress by trying to eliminate it completely. And I think by doing that, we're not actually setting our students up for long-term success in not just in college, but actually in life. And so I think when the, you know, when I talk to families a lot, it's about, you know, a lot of college application success and a a lot of college success with a lot less stress, because my goal is to say, this is not without stress. It is but it doesn't have to be to a point that all other things become, you you can't function. You can't do your schoolwork. You can't go out with your friends. You can't have a social life. You can't participate in your activities. I think we need to empower our students to understand not everything is easy. Not everything is going to work out exactly as you hope, but that you have hopefully a village of people around you who are going to guide you through that process and not necessarily doing it for you. I have found, I know Whitney has seen this and many other colleagues is that when families go ahead and take over the process for a student, it actually creates astronomical amounts of stress for everybody, as opposed to letting the student be the driver of the process and letting it be a learning experience and not just uh, a a completely stress-free experience. And building the skill of resilience. I mean, I'm embedded in a university life now. I work at Miami University of Ohio. Post-pandemic, coupled with the fact that for the last 20 years, parents have kind of taken, especially parents of upper middle class, middle class and upper class, when we're looking at socioeconomic scale, parents who can afford it tend to live a life where they're hoping their kid doesn't feel anything negative, where they've eliminated the ability for that kid to build resiliency. And we are seeing the catastrophic results of that in a post-pandemic world on the university campuses. We're talking about suicidality up 110%. We're talking about 
um, requests for access to mental health services up 55%, hospitalizations up, every bit of this counts. So uh, to just hammer home Dana's incredible point, looking for a stress-free experience is not looking for life. That's not the reality. We want our youth, our young people who are eventually going to be adults to know how to manage stress. This is a great case study. The college admissions process is a wonderful time to practice those resilience building skills. I love that. You guys are a great um, combination and complement to one another. I, I think about today, where to begin. Like when I, when I think back to what my experience was like in the early 90s, it was literally like we did, there was no college tour. Uh, and for me and for my friends, maybe it was just us. We were in New York, an hour north of New York City. And it was just sort of like, hey, where do we think we want to go? I was like, oh, I just want to live down south. I picked like, you know, a couple schools to consider. I was realistic with like SATs and grade point average. I applied to five. I wrote on an actual, I typed on an actual typewriter. And like, when I tell you that my mom had zero to do with this, like zero, (laughs) like she had, I I probably had to ask her for a check or, or like stamps or something, you know, it was probably like a $25 fee or something. Yeah. And that's it. Right. And I just mailed it in. And, you know, crossed my fingers and it was cool. You knew that you got a big envelope in the mail. That meant you got in when you got just the legal size envelope. You knew you were rejected. That was it. Right. And there was no posting. There was it was just call up a couple of friends and be like, "Woo, I'm going to be a Gamecock. Like, you know, that was it. (laughs) So I, I don't envy today's kids or parents. And I have an eighth grader going, I mean, we're here in Denver just looking at applying to high school. Mm-hmm. This is already a whole thing. Yeah. So tell us, I have like so many questions I want to ask you, but so if let's just say right now, someone's listening, they have a freshman or a sophomore in high school, right? What, what should we be doing as parents? Where do we begin the process? How do we enter into this realistically? Like you guys are talking about. You should be doing nothing, Dana. Uh- <laughs> Well, not nothing, but not much. I think that one of the most important messages that, and I know Whitney feels exactly the same way, is that high school is not a means to an end. High school is an experience unto itself. And I think the most prevailing thought is families encourage your students to enjoy their high school experience from the second they walk in until the second they leave. Again, it's not going to be easy all the time. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be, you know, it's going to have its ups and downs. Plus they're teenagers. Just inherently they have ups and downs. We had ups and downs. But I think that when you're talking about the college process for families where a student is eager, the student again is the driver. You have to look at your student and not just say, okay, what are we doing about college when you're in ninth grade? But if your student is asking questions, Use that as a motivator. That's wonderful if they're asking questions. And if they're not, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be because they're not already. You know, I don't have a lot of students to come to me in ninth or 10th grade who are even remotely close to being ready. Their parents are, but they aren't. And so what I do with my students is I say, let's not talk about college. Let's talk about high school. Just tell me, what are you enjoying about it? What's not working? Let's talk about your classes. So those and all those questions are helpful down the line. But so if you have a ninth or 10th grade parent, my recommendation would be look at making sure that if they have a particular 
academic interest that's strong or even a career interest. We ask our, we ask our children and from the second they're born until right. they turn 18, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, keep asking. And if they have an idea, see how you can go ahead and do activities or volunteering or even a job that's going to correlate closely to what it is they think they're interested in. Look at the classes that they're taking and trying to say, you know, my student says they're interested in engineering. Okay, well, what sciences are they taking? What type of math are they in? Is the high school in the courses, does the high school know that that is what the student is interested in? And just facilitating the conversation, saying to your student, have you gone and told your school counselor, hey, I'd like to go take, or, or a principal, whoever does scheduling, and saying, hey, I'm really interested in being an engineer. I would love to be able to take more advanced sciences or advanced math classes because I think that would be helpful. I think talking to students about summer programming, you know, what can we do to build up our summers so that rest and relaxation is very important, but also connectivity with others, with other kids their age, um, exposure to other things that are going on in the world. You know, if it's a job, because many students do need to work, and right now it's an excellent time for high schoolers to work because we are dealing with worker shortage and we are dealing with companies that are looking for people, they'll take high schoolers. So using the opportunities in ninth and 10th grade to start talking and saying, if a student's eager, what could you be doing? If they're not eager, the simple questions of, just tell me what you like. Hey, suggesting certain classes to think, to think about or talking to the school counselor who can suggest classes. I think that's the best way to do it without throwing in their faces, college, college, college. And I think what that'll do is it focuses on the experience they're in but will by definite by just by definition creates a foundation that in a year or two or three is going to help with the college process. And I think it's important to remember where a 14, 15 year old brain is. A 14 or 15 year old brain doesn't really have the capacity to think longitudinally like a 40, 50 year old brain. So oftentimes when I was sitting in these meetings with parents and administrators and core college counselors and the parent had one expectation of what the kid should be feeling and thinking and doing and the student had another, it mostly was the expectation of adult putting their skill, well, they should be doing this and they should be doing this and this all counts onto a 14 year old brain. Their frontal lobe is not developed. You know this, right? They don't have the capacity to organize and manage like this. Nine times out of 10, if they're hearing it from mom and dad, they're just shutting down. Like they're not listening. So if you have a student who is not thinking about their future aspect prospects, which at 14 and 15 is totally okay because that's biologically how they were designed to be, they're not at, they're not 50, so they don't have that capacity yet. The best advice and the kind of best experiences I've seen with students who don't have that relationship yet with their parents is to find some sort of an aunt, a younger adult, like someone who's a mentor unofficially, who's just talking to the student and just letting them be a kid, but also, you know, having a subtle conversation, like, what do you like want to do with this like, where do you want to be in four or five years? Like, and if they're like, I don't know, that's okay too. Because this message that like, if you don't have college, you can't be anything. And then you college is only 18 to 22 is one that we have to eradicate. That there is a timeline that suits every individual. This, this is not real. People get married at different ages, have children at different ages, die at different ages, lose parents at different ages, and doesn't 
mean that there's one way. And it's so important as the adult in the room that we remember we are there to be their support system, not the stumbling block to their success. I love that. You know, as you guys are talking, I'm wondering what you think about kids like my daughter who will say like, oh, I just want to go to college like where it's warm and near a beach. Right. So how do you respond to that? And what do you I mean, I I know Dana's heard that 15,000 times. Uh, I mean, we used to both work where it was warm and there was a beach um, in Miami. You've got plenty of options for you. Yeah. Yeah. Great. What do you want to do while you're there? What's exciting about warm in a beach? Right. Like all the things just getting to and also your daughter's in eighth grade. I mean, my nine-year-old said she wants to go to University of Cincinnati because it's down the block and they're having a great football season. Like, she don't, like, what does she know? <laughs> I was like, okay. I don't think that that's writing her story and have a conversation about what that means. But, you know, a 14-year-old in eighth grade has no idea yet what college is like. So I think that that's a very typical thing to hear. Right. So if a parent hears it, just kind of go with it. Great. What would you do there? What would be exciting about that? Just have a conversation with it. your kid. Yeah. It's a just it's a it's a wonderful opportunity to have a conversation with your kid. Just take it as a as a, a prompt to get to know the kid in, who in front of you. I think also, you know, this is this this is a little bit about privilege, but if you're if you're in a family who has the privilege to be able to travel and maybe take a vacation, you know, maybe once a year, once every other year. Um, and it's the opportunity of you have, a, you have a student that says, I'd love to be able to go someplace warmer and to a beach. And you travel to someplace that is warmer near a beach. There are colleges all along this, every, every coast of this country. And so at that point, what I say to families is even if they're in middle school, even if they're in early high school, go visit a college campus while you're on your family vacation. You could actually go visit one that's five miles down the road from where you live. But if you're going to go on a trip, build out a couple hours in, a, in one of the days and say, you know what, there happens to be a school nearby. It's not about the name of the school. It's not about anything, but it just gives you an opportunity to go walk onto a college campus and just start facilitating the conversation of, hey, if you think this is where you want to live, here's an example. You know, yeah, Whitney and I used to live in Miami, Florida. And if a student were to say, I go, sure, go look at, I used to work at the University of Miami. So I go, go look at the University of Miami. And there's no decision being made at that point. But I can tell you that later on when they're sitting down, whether it's a school counselor or an independent counselor or with you as a family, somebody's going to say, have you ever seen this school? And they'll go, I went on a family vacation and I saw the University of Miami and I, I really thought it was so pretty. I loved its size. I loved the palm trees. I, I, I loved the, the pools and all that sort of thing. And if that's important to them, that's important to their particular college process. It might not be a pool on a campus might not be important to another student, but it is to yours. And so I think that using that opportunity is, um, you know, to, tr- to travel anywhere, just to look and to begin to understand what does a campus look like? I meet with so many students who, when I say, have you ever seen a college campus? They'll say no. And I always think to myself, there's so many, just go down the street or, or drive a few miles. Or if, it, or if you plan on being away from home for a day or two, go just drive in the neighborhood of school. And I think that that's all part of actually going back to our original part of this about stress visualizing something that you think you're going to do actually helps with the reduction of stress because it's not, you know, just some figment of their imagination. Yeah, that's 
great advice. Really, really good. So uh, some of the things I'm going to highlight you've said is just, you know, like having a realistic mindset, exposing yourself to the situation, accepting that stress is a part of this process doesn't necessarily have to mean it's negative, but it is a part of it and it can be managed. When is the right time if parents are able to, to seek out independent consultants like yourselves? When do you do that in the process? My answer to that is when your student is ready and is interested in being an active participant in the college admissions process. And that does not mean that it will happen. For some families, it's in ninth grade. In some families, I will tell you, I have a call today with a 12th grader. And today is November 5th. And I'm okay with that because that student is ready today. And so I would say that that is at any point, it's fine. I do think that it's important to notice, uh, to note that I believe in, in my function. I know Whitney probably believes the same. Our jobs are to complement the work of school counselors in the school system. Most cases, they are very, they have very, very large caseloads. They are doing the best they can yes. given the situation. And our jobs is not to replace the work that the hard, hard work that they're doing day in and day out. Our job is to complement the work that they're doing and it's helping the students navigate that relationship with that school counselor and to be able to provide the support that the counselor wants to be able to give but might feel has certain limitations. Our job is to do that. So if you are in a school system where you have well-meaning and well-intentioned school counselors, but your student needs additional support, that's where hiring an, an independent college counselor can be very helpful to you. If you feel that you know, and especially for students who might have difficulty with executive functioning, time management, organization, that can also be a very helpful, you know, member of the village. But we are, we as independent counselors are not here to replace the school counselor. It is very important that students build the relationship early on in high school with their school counselor. And if they want to have another person as part of their village to help them develop those relationships and work with them as their partner in this process, um, that can happen, and I'd say it happens when the student is most ready, not when the parent is most ready, not when any every other everybody else is ready, but really the student, because they have to be the, the driver. They have to be the captain of the ship. They have to be the one who's really pushing forward, because nobody can work harder in this process than the student. Otherwise, it causes more stress, and the outcomes are usually not what people hope for. Would you add anything, Whitney? I'm just thinking in my head, the part of the conversation that it's important to have is you can do everything you're supposed to check off all the check boxes, but to understand the college process is to understand that the 200 or so extremely difficult colleges that are hard to get into that are your name brand colleges, there is no one prescriptive way to get in there. And there, every single year, they are designed to be difficult to get into. They are designed, it, it matters where you go to, to high school. It matters the relationship that school counselor, college counselor has. It matters whether or not that university that year is deciding to build a stronger journalism cohort. And so they put emphasis on that. And if you are an English major, and you have all the right GPAs and everything, it doesn't matter because the, what is the university that they're applying for focusing on that year? There's so much criteria out of your control. And if you don't understand that, 
that's going to, you're going to have a difficult time. This thing where we've taught, we've been teaching for the last 20 years, young people to get the highest GPA, write the best essay, build your resume, do all the internships, but it, it, it doesn't matter as much as you think it does because the university of those 200 that are really the ones that have most of the power, that is without your control. And so to go back to the original, to the opening conversation, look at the other, math, you know, 2,800 universities and colleges out there that will give you discounts that are, that have wonderful PhD having, you know, accredited professors that have incredible diversity components, that have wonderful extracurriculars, internship programs, right? Like those universities want you. They are still accredited four-year wonderful universities. They're just not a name brand and they're not the ones running the show of, of this college admissions process. I think that's really important to acknowledge if you are really just, I have to go to Michigan and I have to get this because go blue and I need to have that amazing blue M on the back. I mean, it's still go blue, but I need to have that amazing blue <laughs> M on the back of my, you know, of my minivan, you know, you're, you're it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be extra. You're, you're paying like in our world, you're paying the anxiety toll, right? Like that kind of very narrow thinking is going to up your anxiety, up your stress and really put, a damper on your relationship with your kid if you are the parent needing that that aspect of this process. Yeah, so well said. I know our time is coming short, but I have to ask you both what you think about gap years. Oh, oh I love them. Love them. <laughs> love, yes. love, love, love them. Yes. yes. Um, yes. Yep, yep, why? Yep, yep, yep. Why? Life is life is short and long, all wrapped up in one. And if you have the opportunity to work really hard and take a break, so to speak, and you're not really taking a break, you're working hard in that gap year. There's so much opportunities out there that we have. These are students who've been working for 12 years, nonstop since they've been in kindergarten until 12th grade. A break is not a bad thing. And looking at the world from a different perspective is not a bad thing. And it's just going to enhance the experience you get when you go, when you come back and go to college. And I haven't had a student take a gap year who hasn't loved it. And to awesome. echo that, I think as long as that gap year is boundaried and requires work of some kind, whether that is, you know, in exchange for money, um, actual <laughs> job or waitressing or whatever it is. But as long as it's not I'm sitting in my, you know, family's cabana and like not growing as a human, but really just taking that year off to do nothing. I mean, I question that, but it's not for me to judge. I'm judging a little bit, but it's not for me to make prescriptions for other people's lives. But I do think you have an, you know, you have an opportunity here. Once again, we are growing adults. Like I can't say that enough. Like how is this young person being set up to be a successful future adult? If they're not doing something that's going to grow their mind, grow their experience, grow their worldview and grow their goals. And and just one final, one just final thing. Colleges love gap years as well. Ooh, girl. They, yes, they yes, love them. Yes. They they encourage them. And if it if it is the right decision for you and your family, and it's part of the big picture, I'd say take advantage. There's so many available in the United States, available overseas, available in your hometown. 
that yeah. um, to be able to make it work. And nobody, it, it's in no way presents a negative for a student. And it probably yeah. writes for a good essay. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. It makes for a good essay. It's funny because I remember, I, you know, I don't know how many years ago, but it feels like maybe eight to 10 years ago, the notion of a gap year was definitely like, my kid has no clue what they're doing. They don't know right. what they want to mm -hmm. do. So boom, we're going to call this a gap year. And parents, I mean, I've had sessions around parents just digging in their heels. And if, I don't know how, maybe you guys know, how has that come, come along where all of a sudden now it's very acceptable. It's something there's designed programs and stuff around. I mean, I think a little bit, it is once again, the commodification of anything. So um, we realized we could make money off of young people and say it's a resume builder. It just so happens that it genuinely is and gives them opportunities. But the other thing is, is that I think that there's a lot, there's just a lot more access now. The other part of it is I'm, I'm curious, I don't know enough about the research and the data, but I'd be curious about, you know, the partnership between colleges and the admissions process and the gap years in the fact that it is celebrated uh, within, you know, the college admissions process. I, I'm not sure about that, but I, it, it does really tend to do good things for young people to give them a structured experiential opportunity before they go and live outside of their parents, you know, boundaries for the first time ever. That can't be a bad thing, hopefully. I think also just to add to that, the reason that I think it's so highly, it, I think it's looked upon so positively by colleges is that colleges are consistently looking to diversify their student body and not just diversify them racially or ethnically or socioeconomically. That is, those are very important factors, but they're also trying to diversify their student body in thought. Yes, and I think girl. that, and thought and experience. And I think what's happened is, is that prior to the pandemic, you had colleges that were, not as diverse in their racial, ethnic, socioeconomic, intellectual thought process because colleges were having to meet certain agendas. We had things like, you know, test scores were required. And so essentially you were getting a very consistent group of students potentially from the same kind of background. Yes, there was the certain level of there's always diversity in every human and, and every person, but it was not really an opportunity to really get differing experiences because if students were coming from very, you know, a state and they were all coming from the same region, they're generally having, and if they're coming from the same socioeconomic background, there's a lot of commonality. And I think what gap years provides is a student is going to be able to be in situations where it's different than their, you know, their upper middle class background in their very strong public school where, this is now pushing them out of their boundaries and they're coming back and they're enriching the classroom experience on the college end. And I think colleges are, are looking for that. They're looking for students who've had experiences that will enrich the conversation because that is essentially the goal of diversity at a university is the enrichment of the educational experience in its entirety. And I think this is just one of multiple ways in which to do that. And I think that's partially why, um, uh, colleges uh, do promote gap years in the way that they do because they are finding that students are coming back more committed, more certain of what they want to study, more likely to graduate within the remaining few years of school and are enriching the conversation of the classroom and the experience overall by virtue of enriches the university. I could talk to you guys for another hour about this. Um, so could we? I, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Thank you for 
what you do. I, I mean, and the way you're doing it. I think the way you're doing it is really unique. Your messaging, your partnership. Where can people find you? And can they work with you anywhere in the country or world? So I am fully virtual. I would like to thank the pandemic for that. Um, I used to, <laughs> it, it's, uh, my business is fully virtual. I work with students. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, but I work with students all over the country and overseas as well. Um, my, it's very, pretty easy to find me. I'm available um, on my website is uh, consultwithdana.com. And you, it's pretty easy to find me that way. You can go ahead. I provide consultations with families. Um, I answer questions. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm able to take students, you know, anywhere from ninth grade all the way through college. I help students also with the transition of transferring in college as well as uh, graduate school as well when needed. But it's really just families that are eager for support who want to who want their students to be encouraged and supported and are open to allowing their students to be, like I said, the driver of the process and in hopes that it really leads to multitudes of successes later. Awesome. What about you, Whitney? Well, I'm all over the internet. Uh, um, is. Uh, I have like 15 side hustles. One of them is as a food blogger. So uh, a Jewish food blogger. Have, so that's You really have a great website too. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I did spend 10 years embedded into schools as director of counseling and building health and wellness, um, comprehensive health and wellness um, departments within schools so that they could, we could have future healthy, resilient adults. So I also work with, I'm virtually, I'm in Cincinnati, but I work with people all over. A lot of what I do and what I'm trying to build is this concept of like building workshops around helping young people navigate not only this process with other students their age, but also with life skill workshops for the future when they are actually in college. How do you access mental health services? What is Title IX? What is Title VI? How do I deal with managing student loans? How do I, what are some understandings of pro-social skills that will allow me to have fun, but also stay in this college that I work so hard to be in and to do that in a group setting so that young people don't feel so alone in this process because young people feel alone all the time and they're just not alone. So, um, and then I work with families in general as well in parent coaching and um, young adult teen coaching. So you can find me at Whitney Fish, F-I-S-C-H, because you can't have fish without a C, WhitneyFish.com or at Whitney Fish on my Instagram. Yes, my father-in-law told me that the first time I met him and I have used it ever since. It's really good. And yet I've known you for almost 10 years and I don't think I've ever heard you say that. Well, because you knew how to spell my name. I love that. I'm just curious, Whitney, before we wrap, what age group, what are the age groups of those life skill groups you're talking about? And is that on Zoom? It is on Zoom. Uh, Typically 11th, 12th graders. I also do a lot of work with adults, parents, and teens around combating diet culture. That's a huge passion of mine. College campuses are breeding grounds for this kind of unhealthy attitude. Miami University in Ohio, where I work now, I love it, but it is one of the, uh, it has one of the highest rates of diagnosed eating disorders in the country. And how can we help our young people before they get to college eradicate this thin is, thin equals happy, thin equals beauty, thin beauty equals happiness. Just 
poison that we've poisoned our young people with. And so I also work with teens and parents that and all of that's on my website. Oh my gosh. Thank God for both of you. I want to support your work in any way that I possibly can. And um, if you're listening to this right now and you have, uh, yes. And if you have enjoyed this conversation, please rate, review and subscribe to Dr. Cheryl's podcast. It was a pleasure having both of you on and I hope to stay connected. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Cheryl. Thank you so much. You're welcome.